I've got no option but to sell you all for scientific experiments. No, no, that's the way it is, my loves. Blame the Catholic Church for not letting me wear one of those little rubber things. Welcome back to Don't Repeat This, a podcast where we discuss topics that you're probably not supposed to bring up at the dinner table. Um, I'm Nate, and once again, I'm bringing my partners in impoliteness back on the show with me, Gail and Vicky. Hello. Hey. So today we're continuing our conversation um, from last week, or last episode, for us it's the same day, (laughs) Uh, where we were talking about... um, uh, abortion. So why don't we go ahead and like drop right back into uh, to where we left off? Yeah. Um, I think, Gail, you were talking about access to education and access to birth control. So one thing that I noticed in, in your notes that I thought was really interesting and I was hoping that maybe you could speak to was um, the, the phenomenon of uh, spontaneous abortions. Yeah, so... <laughs> The statistic that I uh, that I had found was spontaneous abortions, which occur naturally, are almost um, half of all eggs which are fertilized, um, and which is where pro-life be- people believe that life begins. Right, is when an egg gets fertilized, which is interesting. Um, these numbers are never included in abortion conversations by pro-lifers. Um, but if you're about saving life and you're about saving those fertilized eggs, right, like that's where life on, in the pro-life discussion starts then it's quite an important piece of conversation, or at least it should be if that really is your goal, that half of all these fertilized eggs spontaneously are aborted within a woman. Um, there was research two years ago about the University of California, which I know, Vicky, that is tied to where you're at right now. Um, and, and they found that more than half of successful fertilizations will end in a miscarriage. Um, previously known research put miscarriages of known pregnancies at 25%. So it's quite interesting that these conversations about, um, you know, saving life all seem to focus on women who are deciding that they don't want to carry a pregnancy to term and they don't actually focus on how do we drive down miscarriages? How do we, for people who want their babies, how do we, you know, if these statistics are so high, 25% of known pregnancies end in miscarriages um, or that half of all fertilized eggs, you know, get spontaneously aborted. Where is the effort and um, energy put into actually changing those statistics, right? Like that should be that should be a non-controversial place to start in quote unquote saving lives if that's where you believe life yeah. begins. I wonder if that's um, that's something that has to do with um, oh, it's it's God's plan. It's not your it's it's not your yeah. plan. It's God's plan to take that child's life, as opposed to being like maybe like we should just make access to prenatal vitamins more readily accessible. Right. I, I think you're right. I think the God card gets thrown down as, you know, God. But it's so, it's, yeah. I, when it comes to miscarriages, I think that's something a lot of people in faith communities drive them out of faith communities. Like, I've heard many stories of women who've had miscarriages being told by people things like, well, it's God's will and plan. And it's so incredibly disgusting and insensitive as something to say to anyone, any mom who was hoping mm-hmm. for their baby and lost it and went through the death of of what they consider to be their child and who you know if they view that as a human life and a human soul already that sort of rhetoric is just just horrifying and traumatizing um and i've heard people who've left church and like their faith was shattered from hearing those kind of god's plan messages um 
to what they went through and that kind of grief and that death of the baby, um, the miscarriage was a big thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I was actually on the topic of um, miscarriages. I think it's really important to take note that a lot of the um, the safety of moms who have miscarriages, so not people going into abortion clinics and wanting to have an abortion, but women who miscarry at home who are wanting to bring their baby to term benefit and go to abortion clinics to get cleaned afterwards so that they don't die of septis, sepsis, if I'm using the right term. The mm-hmm. abortion um, clinics and the medical procedures that, that, that um, allow for abortions are the same sort of procedures that help moms who miscarry, which is 25%, to get the proper uh, treatments that they need. And it comes directly out of that. So, like, I, I thought this was interesting and kind of tied into the topic, but it said, like, you're pro-life until your wife is told by a doctor that her pregnancy is non-viable, her baby has no kidneys or brain, and will most likely die before birth. Under the new law, so that it was kind of, sorry, I'm just going to caveat, kind of painting the picture of, okay, so if you want to ban abortions... This is what things are going to look like. Because the reality is under the law, it's very vague. Abortions are not considered, I don't want this baby. I want to get an abortion. Uh, Things like miscarriages, things that most people don't consider as abortion are actually under the law would be banned. Or you could be criminalized for certain things that right now you wouldn't consider abortion. So anyway, I'm going to just read this. It was food for thought. Uh, Under this law with, you know, with no brain, they would most likely die before birth. And under the new law, he can't remove the fetus, even if it's stillborn, and your wife is forced to follow through with the delivery. You get to watch the fallout of her having to tell her family, friends, co-workers over and over what's going to happen when they ask her when she's due. I'm I'm just trying to picture what that would look like for a mom to deal with. Your baby is not going to live, but now you're forced to carry it to term because... You don't, abortion laws are put into effect, and now she's got to tell everyone over and over, oh, we're so excited, when is the baby coming? And you've got to explain this trauma nonstop, because the laws. You're pro-life until the doctor tells your wife that she she will most likely die if the pregnancy is brought to term, along with the baby. Your future soulmate, your everything, will likely disappear in less than one short year, and nobody can help you. You're pro-life until your wife has a partial miscarriage and doctors refuse to remove the rest of the fetus, citing new abortion laws. Your wife dies of septic and you get to arrange her funeral. You're pro-life till your daughter is raped and you're forced to watch her suffer through a pregnancy only to have her die in a failed attempt to abort at home. It's, and it ends with, it's not your body or your choice. There are many different circumstances. It doesn't always mean what you think it means. Not one bill tells a man what to do with his body. Not one bill makes a man step up and be a dad. This isn't okay. Um, The person was saying they agreed it wasn't a form of birth control, but a woman should be able to decide on her own if it's as it's her life and she who's the one who will have to deal with the decisions. It It was an interesting food for thought just in terms of, you know, what we consider to be abortion and how that affects women in general. Um... Not just this little narrow thing we've carved out on what abortion looks like. Yeah, and I think that ties um, ties into what I wanted to talk about today, which was um, there's, you know, even within the uh, the community of people on the left, um, or even like you know moderates, center left, who are in favor of um, you know having abortion remain legal as it was made um, under Roe v. Wade. There there are some key differences on how more moderate um, Democrats and people farther to the left uh, agree on how to discuss the issue of abortion, how to market it or how to 
um, you know, use it as a almost like a political platform and and to re- because it is a political issue, honestly. Um, laws and are so, politically informed, you know, right? That's how laws come into place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your right to get an abortion depends on the law of your state. Like, and I'm going to get into it in a few minutes, but like, you know, just thinking about what state you're born into, what state you grow up into affects how easy, how accessible um, family planning services aside from abortion. Like how do you have a Planned Parenthood? Do you have any sort of um, women's health clinic um, in your state, in your county? Um, That sort of availability really depends on your state legislature under, you know, the United States um, federal law. It's largely left up to the states to decide. But um, so last year, in November, and I know this seems like a million years ago, like I <laughs> forgot that this happened because of everything that's happened this year. Um, this actually happened after we got married. So just to give you an idea of like how <laughs> recent it was, um, we got married on November 9th. This happened a little bit later in November. Uh, the Supreme Court announced it would review a restrictive Louisiana abortion law. And the case over this law would require doctors performing abortions to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals, which is kind of ridiculous. Like it's so arbitrary and doesn't make any sense. It serves Um, a purpose though, right? To shut down a lot of places that are providing these services. Basically that's the fallout. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And this is the first abortion ruling since, um, the two Trump appointees to the Supreme Court joined the court, so Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Who both vocally stated that um, they would support any anti-abortion sort of stuff. Like these men, it's always the men that yeah. <laughs> seem to have very strong opinions on women's bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that, like, you know, while we're on the topic, um, abortion, family planning doesn't just affect women it affects men too like have you heard of child support if you get a girl pregnant in high school legally in the united states you're going to be expected to provide for that child until that child reaches um you know depending on where you are 18 um 21 years of age um unless the child is emancipated in some other way so from a legal perspective you're on the hook for that kid too and you may be thinking like oh no big deal like i'll just pay my child support or like i'm gonna be i'm just gonna man up and be like a great dad and like we're gonna get married and i'm, and I'm gonna deal with it five years down the line ten years down the line when you're still stuck with that same person that you decided to be with as a teenager you may be thinking differently um so i i, I just think like it's very short-sighted for these men who are very well established in their careers as politicians um, who are making, you know, loads of money f- throughout their career from, you know, not only just not only being a pot- politician, but from consulting, from lobbying, from um, special interest groups that allow them to continue um, propagating this information. You know, it's it's really narrow minded for them to say, like, no, just like just have the baby, because like, what if the baby has, you know, medical complications? What if the baby has um, special needs? There's all sorts of things that affect men just as much as they affect women. And I'm not saying that the experience is equal by any means, because it's not. Um, but it's, it's sort of, it's, an, it's a motivation for men to take responsibility as well. Um, and to educate themselves on what actually is going on. When you're forcing women to carry um, a baby to term... Like, how this is going to affect men. And yet, the problem is that men, by and large, are shirking responsibility or finding ways to get out of um, holding themselves responsible and then are shifting the blame entirely on women. 
um, through these restrictive uh, ab- abortion laws. Um, I, I find it, um, I don't know, frankly, I find it um, hypocritical and incongruous. But it also, you know, having yeah. men make decisions on women's health and bodies, I'm not saying it doesn't impact the men, but I've, I've just seen so many divorced women chasing their exes for child support and not getting the help that they need. Exactly. And the impact yeah. on women and for men to be the ones kind of ruling over their bodies, I just... It's it's very disheartening and it's pretty unjust and gross overall, you know, and, and yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it goes back to what we were talking about um, in the last episode about condoms and how as mm-hmm. a high school student, if you don't have that sex education, um, you're going to look at condoms and see like, oh, this is my only option to prevent a pregnancy if I'm going to have sex or just not have sex um, right. because that's what's available to you mm-hmm. over the counter birth control isn't available over the counter um, by and large for, you know, in terms of female hormonal contraception, um, it has to be prescribed. So it's more difficult to access. Um, Mm -hmm. And from that perspective, it's like, well, you can either choose to not have sex, which is a basic biological, like human process that everybody kind of, not everybody, but like most, most humans, most adolescents go through those urges when they're in, um, when they're going through that, that phase of life or, um, you can rely on a condom, which is not really that effective in terms of um, contraceptive methods. Um, they're they're only effective in in like the eighty percentile, whereas hormonal birth control you, it can it can get up into the ninety, um, you know, ninety percent or higher. So um, yeah, it's I think it's you know it goes back to education in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, you you were but another sorry, thing, Vicky, you know, before I, you. You were oh, bringing no, okay. up the states, and there's an interesting statistic out there that, so the, when it came to the state laws, you're bringing up Louisiana, um, and that court decision in November, um, there was a lot of laws that they tried to enact in 2019, like a ton of laws that different states were trying to bring forward. Um, yeah. 18 states didn't enact any new abortion restrictions. So the ones that did, apparently they didn't do too well. They were all challenged. Um, I don't think any, they were trying to restrict abortions as of six weeks in a lot of states. Um, and Alabama was like all the way through with some, some exceptions. It was like completely trying to make it illegal. And most of them have you know, have been challenged. and and But what's interesting is 18 states that didn't enact any new abortion restrictions accounted, accounted for 57% of the decline in abortions nationwide. Only five states and the District of Columbia saw increases in abortion, and four of those states tightened abortion laws. Like, they were ones on that yeah. side <laughs> of things. So, yeah. yeah. Because, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, when you shut down a, a clinic like Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood, um, you're not only restricting access to abortion, you're also restricting access to things like contraceptive service, services, education, um, cancer screenings, pap smears, that sort of thing that keep women sort of educated about their own bodies in real time. So when you shut down an abortion clinic, you're not just banning abortion, you're also banning family planning services. Contraceptive accessibility goes with that. Oh, and just but since since we mentioned Planned Parenthood, I just want to mention real quick that Planned Parenthood isn't only for women. Um, Planned Parenthood also offers uh, um, free or uh, low cost men's health solutions as well. So if you have um, as a man, um, 
if you have um, some some health concerns, um, if you need to get you know a testicular or prostate cancer screening, um, Planned Parenthood is there for you for mm-hmm. free or low cost um, solutions. It's not just for women who want to uh, get an abortion. It's for women's health in general, holistically, and men's sexual health as well. Like yeah. it's it's there for you. It's yeah. a, actually a fantastic resource that I don't think. Uh, gets it gets very vilified it, yeah. by the right in terms of it being this mm-hmm. house of horrors where people are running around bragging about killing off infants and making you know it's just the baby's already born it's a partial partial birth abortion and it just really like they paint very gruesome i think think it's been a big right-wing tactic to smear Planned parenthood but just even in that very grotesque sort of showing up images of dead fetuses and trying to like make you feel disgusted by everything uh, there's a lot of that talk, yeah. but it's important. Thanks, Nate, for bringing it up. Just the reality of the good Planned Parenthood does. And it, it helps yeah. decrease abortions as well by all of that, by all of taking mm-hmm. care of sexual health stuff. And, um, yeah. Yeah, like you like like you both were mentioning, um, the, the increase in abortion rates take place in states that are cracking down on abortion um, and Often that involves shutting down Planned Parenthood uh, locations. Um, Vicky, you were talking about the um, uh, the Louisiana abortion law, um, and then mm-hmm. the um, the various cases that have been uh, kind of um, being like trying to get brought to the Supreme Court. Um, but that, since we're talking about the Supreme Court, I noticed you you had mentioned in your um, in your notes the. Um, the currently open uh, seat. Yeah, yeah. So, so the case um, for Louisiana was uh, ultimately struck down in June of this year, 2020. But um, as the late Justice Ginsburg's seat on the court remains open, um, as the, of as of right now, as of, as right, of our recording, as of our but recording, rest in power yeah. to Ginsburg, but that's, rest know, in power to her. Yeah, yeah. Because by the time by the time you all are listening to this, that seat might might Which be filled. Which was yeah. scary. Um, yeah, please say no. Please. I, I hope that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the conversation, whether or not abortion is ethical, is almost as important as how to talk about it with people on the left who agree that it should remain legal. Mm-hmm. Um, the debate on abortion access is hardly new, but um, it rages on, and so does another abortion rights movement, um, which is an abortion rights movement on the left, which is how do we talk about uh, abortion access on the left as a political platform, which is something that I was trying to get to before. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, on in the, in the more moderate democratic uh, universe, cinematic universe, right? They <laughs> they often use the DC, yeah, right. <laughs> they often use the phrase "safe, legal, and rare." So maybe we could pop in a clip of Clinton. Um, uh, Bill Clinton in 1991 using this phrase because he really coined the phrase um, safe, legal, and rare when talking about abortions. Where abortion is safe and legal, but rare. And both Clintons, actually. We can support a woman's right to choose that makes abortion safe, legal, and rare and reduces the number of abortions. Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. also used this phrase when she was on the campaign trail um 2014 2015 and that's kind of my election that was my belief uh for 
a while when I started to kind of turn around a little bit on abortion. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, for the majority of my life, my, my stance was, was, was quote-unquote pro-life. But um, when I started to turn, that was my ideology. And I still sometimes use that when uh, approaching people on the right who just want to ban or abolish abortions uh, yeah. legally entirely. I still sometimes use that argument, but I'm... But, and, and Vicky, I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of talk a little bit further on that. But obviously now I think I'm beginning to to shift a little bit towards what you're yeah. about to Yeah, and we're going to talk about that. Like at the end, I have some I have some questions for you guys um, cool. about the phrasing because I, I too also kind of was in that camp for a while. I grew up Catholic and, you know, how abortion is seen by Catholics. Um, so Tulsi Gabbard, who I thought was pretty cool, you know, on the campaign yeah. trail, I thought she was like a decent candidate. She wasn't my number one pick, but I thought... I agreed with a lot of what she had to say. She also used this phrase, safe, legal, and rare, um, when discussing abortion um, access for women. And she got a lot of flack for that. She got a lot of pushback from um, people on on the left who were like, you know, that's really not okay. Um, but the I guess the phrase is used to emphasize that abortion should be used sparingly, but in a safe um but be a safe and available medical procedure available to everybody who needs it. Um, and some who advocate using this phrase say it appeals to a broader base, like you said, Nate, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, includes moderates. Um, and then, you know, some people who advocate for using the phrase also say that it should be just like any other surgical procedure, right? Like you're going to have your appendix removed. That should be safe, legal, and rare too. Like, you know, you you don't want to have surgeries over and over again in general, and we just see it like any other medical procedure. Um, so the issue with using that phrase from the far left or even, even you know, right outside um, more conservative Democrats is there aren't mass protest, protests or, you know, mass shootings even at cancer treatment centers, um, people where you get uh, places where you get flu shots that just doesn't happen right and like we mentioned earlier Planned Parenthood also and other other clinics that offer abortion women's health clinics they offer other services other than um, abortion so shutting down these facilities is something that happens on a political level and it doesn't happen at the same level as other medical treatment facilities so there is something politically charged about this one medical procedure um, and so some pro-choice advocates on the other side say that this phrase is doing a lot more harm than good. They say there's a lot of stigma involved in getting an abortion, yep. which, I mean, they say that, yeah. but like, it's true. That's why the protests like, are happening yeah. outside of yeah. abortion clinics, like you said, and not outside the cancer treatment centers, mm-hmm. right? There's still a lot of yeah. uh, emotionally charged anger right. towards people who need an abortion. Right. And, and emphasizing that, you know, this procedure should be something that's rare makes it really hard for women to go through with the procedure, even if, you know, they understand that they need they need this procedure in order to maintain their quality of life, um, in order to, um, you know, protect their own physical well-being, um, as well as, you know, like you mentioned earlier, in cases of partial miscarriage or full miscarriage, um, you know, to help them improve their own well-being so it makes and it even hard like save their own lives exactly yeah it makes it really hard for them to decide to go through with this even if it's something that's like medically viable and actually you know medically necessary for their own health mm-hmm. um and we don't treat other kinds of um routine 
medical life-saving procedures this way. We just don't. Um, Women experience shame from their families, from their friends, from doctors. They feel like they can't talk about it. Um, And it also, as we talked about earlier, stigmatizes people who have sex, which is most people. Like, (laughs) most people have sex that are, like, adults. That's just how it happens. Um, You know, it also stigmatizes people who have sex... Uh, women who have sex with men who don't use protection, right? Like, like I mentioned earlier, um, women and men who have sex outside of wedlock, which is, you know, we could talk about the ethics of that in terms of, um, you know, the Bible and Christianity. But um, I know, <laughs> I know that there are evangelical Christians who go around saying, like, I'm pure. I'm not going to have sex before marriage, because um, there's Catholics that do this, this too, and. At the end of the day, they say one thing and I'm they raising do my hand. Thing. You guys can't see this who are listening, <laughs> but I'm guilty. And like, I- I've I actually have ceased being evangelical because you know it felt, uh, <laughs> that was the, that was the turning <laughs> point. Everything else eh, questionable, but yeah, it's it's a really important topic. I mean, and like, yeah. if you feel like you're you're um, you have to keep something so big that's a part of your life a secret every time you go to church and your church is your community it's your family you know that's that makes it hard you know there's a lot of stigma attached to sex and there's also a lot of stigma attached to abortion as well so these these phrases that are like let's keep it safe let's keep it legal and let's keep it rare the um, rare part is what we're specifically underlining here right (laughs) yeah 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 absolutely The, the the word rare makes it seem um, Why are you doing this? You better I'll, avoid doing this. And uh, if you do it, yeah. I mean, is this really what you need to do? Is, are you keeping this rare? Are you? Is that what you're? Is that what this exactly. is about? Oh my! It's your mm. second abortion. Now we really need to have yeah. a conversation about your understanding. And right. many women yeah. who get abortions, keep in mind, um, are married women who already have children, and cannot um, cannot care for an additional child in their current current financial situation. So it's a reasonable practice in in their mind. Um, It's obviously not an easy decision to make. It's a hard, and Gail, you mentioned earlier that like nobody wants to get an abortion. It's not something that is as a fun thing to do. No one's like, oh, I can't wait to get an abortion today or I'll just take care of that with an abortion. It's always a conversation and a long thought out process. Well, um, right, someone who, who doesn't want to be pregnant did not plan, did not set out writing down, I want an abortion. They didn't want to be pregnant to begin with. So this these are not planned. Yeah. You might plan yeah. other things in life, but you definitely never sit down and go, I want an abortion. Let me plan this out. I did want to say really quick when you were talking about, you know, w- married women who have kids who are looking at the financial cost. So I I was a teen mom, uh, but as a Canadian versus American, it's always stunning to me the health, the health care situation in the States versus Canada. So, you know, I've looked into this and I realized like I paid zero to have a baby. Zero. That's how much it costed me Uh, in terms of obstetrician (laughs) visits, in terms of follow up care, in terms of everything, bringing my kid to the pediatrician afterwards, uh, the hospital stay when I gave birth, the doctor, I paid zero. I walked out with no bill and my baby in my in my hands. Um, I know that this is not the case for Americans. Um, So my situation of, of, you know, making that decision and what that looked like for me. I have no clue what that would have looked like to me if I was a teen mom in the U.S. And that meant I yeah. was coming out with 
I mean, I think I read something like it could be twenty grand as your final bill that you go it home with be. after. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it can be. Depending on the if average you're insured, is thirty. If, yeah. If you're insured, it comes out to roughly about uh, between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars. And does that include insurance. all of your? It, it depends on your, your insurance um, too. Prenatal care and your visit. No. No. No, no, just just so, the birth, just the birth yeah, comes out. So just you take your prenatal yeah. your care stay. and your postnatal yeah. care and your pe- like. Then this is this is even with insurance, right. your the bills yeah. are going to be really high for looking. Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, my numbers are like all over the place because I had uh, a few months ago I had gotten into this conversation with somebody and I actually did some of the math on average, um, if I remember correctly, which I'm probably am not remembering correctly, but I think if you Add it all up, you know, your um, well care visits, prenatal, um, your uh, pediatrician visits immediately afterwards, the, the birth itself. You're looking at between 70 to 100,000. Um, yeah, out of pocket if mm-hmm. you're, if you're uninsured in America. Which, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, most people have some kind of coverage, whether uh, through um, ACA or uh, Damn, that sounds like another conversation we should have, yeah. uh, whether through ACA or whether um, your employer. But, but I mean, insurance um, coverage in the states medically, if it's through your company, is never a hundred percent, right? We're looking at. No, 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 no. It's usually it's usually like eighty twenty. So twenty percent of seventy you're, grand, you're out of pocket, walking away. I don't know. I can't do my math, but <laughs> it's a lot of money. Yeah. It's it's about so, fourteen. So yeah, yeah. a poor person, somebody who's a teen mom, how on earth? How on earth are they expected to be able to pull this off? Like, it doesn't even make... As a Canadian, right. I was able to pull this off. But if I lived in the States, I think I would have been starving. My kids would have, like, not had food to eat. This is, would have been my situation. Yeah. So, I wanted to mention um, quickly, and then, Vicky, you've got some questions for us that I think would be I do. really good. Actually, you know what? Just go ahead and dive into the questions. Okay. I'll, I'll save my, my thought for okay, a, cool. a later. Yeah. Um talked about let's see we talked about clintons we talked about the shooting oh one thing i wanted to mention was um there was a shooting at planned parenthood uh in 2015 where mm-hmm. um a uh, police officer garrett swayze who's father of two was killed as well as an army veteran um Karar stewart um a father of two and jennifer um, markowski who was a mother of two and then none of the three who worked for uh, none of the three people who were killed worked for Planned Parenthood. Nine other people were injured in the attack, which came after months of publicity over what Planned Parenthood says were deceptively edited recordings purporting to show clinic staff elsewhere offering to sell fetal tissue for research purposes. And this also gets into the anti-vax debate, which we will probably have an episode on anti-vax at some point. Um, But a lot of people believe that these clinics are selling fetal tissue to use for I've vaccines. I've seen those, so. those videos that really, when I was talking earlier yeah. about just that very big emotional appeal to see Planned Parenthood as monsters, I think this edit video controversy definitely came into play with that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's horrible. It's horrible, and we could talk about mm-hmm. it forever. Um, but one thing that I wanted to ask you guys was knowing all that, and after our conversation today, um, What's your stance on safe, legal, and rare? And do you see it as harmful or helpful? Why or why not? And has your opinion changed over time? Yeah. Yeah. Gail, I mean, I first? think you kind of answered a little bit in your own of how you've evolved and how you would have used to have answered that. I've evolved so much. I mean, 
clearly having a baby at 16, I had a position on what that meant. Um, now that I am older and wiser and have a better understanding of things, I have changed my position on this topic. Um, I think the whole safe, legal, and rare um, con uh, slogan uh, in this debate, I mean, I'm a Canadian, so I haven't heard that. You know, the, pol the political side, the American politics I take in are varied <laughs> in terms of it, so I didn't actually have only heard of this today. Um, but it, it really made me think through the stigmatizing and, and what that looks like and how hard, like, we don't need extra stigma on, in people, for people who are already in vulnerable situations. And uh, until I started thinking through today of what rare could imply for people of how that could add stigma, I haven't really considered that that maybe isn't the wisest way to go about trying to, I get that you want to appeal to your, um, your centrist people or the ones on the other side. Um, I just don't think it's an effective way if you're stigmatized. Like I would, I would much rather cite off the fact that deport, deport, abortion rates decrease when you have uh, democratic governments who are not trying to restrict abortion for somehow it, it drives mm -hmm. down abortion. Mm -hmm. I would rather point out those statistics and show um, just how much making health care for women available and birth control accessible makes a massive difference. I would rather focus on that than trying to say our goal is to make abortion rare. I think promoting the need for women to have access to health care is smarter and doesn't stigmatize. Um, there's just other ways to go about doing that. I, I hadn't thought of how much the word rare kind of paints a picture, kind of says, puts shame yeah. out there as, and I don't think that's helpful. I would say the same for me, other than the fact that um, I had heard and used that phrasing for a while. And honestly, um, even just over the course of hearing you talk about that today vicky um it has it has changed my approach um and i think it's it's going to i don't know how how i'm going to form the conversation as i'm talking to conservative friends and family about I have this a solution issue. she yes it's she coming has a solution okay <laughs> um but like yeah so i'm 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 excited to hear that so yeah i i so real quick then yeah i i would say that my ideas and my opinions have changed even over the course of our own conversation today cool. that um i i think i don't i i recognize how um how stigmatized uh, stigmatization can be extremely harmful and even if you want to legalize um, abortion i think using the term rare to describe it is unhelpful and can be detrimental um anyway yeah yeah and even you know Using that word has only done, uh, has only made it rarer. So if you think about how, <laughs> how accessible was abortion when Roe v. Wade was passed and how accessible is it now, um, it's, it, it's now largely up to states to decide. And yeah. it's, they're chipping away every single, every single year, every single Supreme Court case, they're, they're um, chipping away at those uh, access, the, the accessibility of these rights for um, women and families as well. Okay, second question. Um, in an ideal world, what does family planning access look like to you? That is a very good question. And I'll start with, uh, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Since Gail, man, I, uh, um, I would say that, uh, first and foremost, um, education needs to be the, um, uh, the foundation, um, and the better educated people are at, at every level. And I think this starts, 
um, early on um, in in sex education, um, and then at at high school, I think I don't know. I think family planning um, should be taught, like you were uh, talking about um, in our last episode, um, how your your high school class essentially in in sex ed talked about and taught you what family prep and family planning that was beautiful i never heard anything like that i wish my high school would have done that yeah i mean i went to a i went to a fundamentalist (laughs) high school so we didn't even talk about sex in school um so yeah i I clearly yeah obviously did not have that um i think that would be um the foundational point for me would be um would be education Cool. Um, I I yeah. definitely yeah. agree with you on that one, Nate. I I went to a public high school in Canada, so setting the stage, and we did talk about sex, um, but not what you got in New Jersey, which I find an amazing model. Of whatever your public education, I think, is deserves some replication there, just in terms of teaching you what did it, what would it look like to care for for a child. Um, that part didn't come in. The the sort of kind of let's go through what it would look like if you had a kid. Um, so we didn't really talk on that level. It was more just e- prevent yourself from getting STDs and uh, unwanted pregnancies and sort of focus there. I do think what I'd love for Americans after education is free health care. You guys so need free health care. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I think yeah. some of the big racial in- inequities, and I know we're not, this isn't our topic today, but I think it, you know, I brought it up either last episode or this one. The discrepancies um, in how the abortion topic affects the black community versus the white community is huge. Yeah. It is a huge, big chasm and gap, and the whole topic of poverty and how that affects people depending on their color of their skin is a reality that exists in the United States. And when you have free health care, that helps to bridge some of those gaps. You know, that really makes a difference yeah. when you have free health care. And I, I want that. If, like, if I was going to address... Um, the question that you were asking, looking at, like, trying to figure out a family planning access and what that looks like, free healthcare is on that list um, for family Absolutely. planning. Yeah. Uh, to be 100%. able to go and pick up uh, contraceptives and not have to pay, you know, a crazy amount of money, that's important as, as uh, access to family planning. And that needs to be part of, you know, we've seen that in Colorado, drop 10% abortion did after they had access to contraceptive. I already bring up that point. But yeah, I think, you know, free healthcare. That's that's my Canadian perspective. You guys need it. <laughs> you yeah. really need it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so last question, and I know we're running low on time. Um, how can we unite? How can we unite on the left to create a messaging strategy that works for all people and does not isolate people seeking abortions or abortion providers while keeping an emphasis on the importance of families and family planning? Hmm. Any thoughts on this before I go into my I want to hear idea. yours. I'm yeah. I'm on the edge of my seat waiting. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Okay. I'm excited. Okay. So, when um marriage equality was passed in the United States, one of the big messaging strategies that worked um for getting people to galvanize around this issue was the emphasis on families, right? So, there was some ad that was going around where um, you know, a grandfather, there, there's a family at the table, the, the dinner table, and they're all sitting around and a grandfather is talking to his granddaughter. Um, let's, I, I don't, I don't remember her name, but like, let's call her Jennifer and saying how important it is 
for her to be able to marry her partner, Alex, who's a woman, because marriage is awesome and families are awesome and marriage and, and marriage and family go together, right? And family and um, community in that way is really important to, um, you know, not just the conservative Christians, but to everybody, right? It's really important that we keep those communities um, together. So mm-hmm. is there a way that we can maybe take this message and package it in a format that works for uh, family planning services and abortion. I think there is. I think talking about it in terms of family planning um, could be really effective to talk about it in terms of, well, you know, Jennifer, um, I want you to be able to plan the family that you want, the family of your dreams, and to be able to have, you know, a um, a successful marriage with your future husband. So, you know, I'm in support of you taking care of your personal health and your personal well-being. Or to, to say, you know, as a, as a matter of this is, we already have a family, we have a great family. If we have another child, it may take away from our abil- uh, ability to provide for our children that we already have, that we already love very much. Um, or to emphasize the, the, the medical issue of if you do have a miscarriage, um, you know, and maybe I'm getting into too many details, but like t- to, to emphasize it around family and I want to have a perfect family that works for me. I want to have mm-hmm. like me and my husband, me and my partner or me and my future partner. We want to have this perfect family that works for us. We want to be able to provide for them. We want to be able to be independent and not be relying on the state for help, relying on the government for help. And in order to do that, we have to have access to family planning services, including abortion. That's my pitch. It's not that polished I, yet. <laughs> I would buy it. Let's work on that one and try to sell it. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. That uh as as heavy as a topic as heavy of a topic as as this one is, um this has been enlightening for me. Um and I'm I'm encouraged. I hope and pray that people across the country are having this kind of conversations and are entertaining these sorts of thoughts openly and honestly. Um and if if you're not having these conversations, uh, I hope this time around um, you do repeat this. <laughs> See what I did there, <laughs> and bring this one uh, to the dinner table um, or and the I'm side sure, room. You know, if you don't want to upset your yeah, mom, you or, know that or, side yeah. room that the people who want to have these meaningful conversations <laughs> don't feel they can have in front of their family that's going to yell at them for talking about them. You go into that side room, and then everyone's congregating in there or in the hall, whispering about. <laughs> they want to talk about have these conversations right. i agree with you <laughs> exactly so um anyway i think that uh, that does it for today's episode and and this topic though I'm, I'm sure maybe at some point we might bring it back up again um if there are some new developments in the world at large um so please please spread the word about our show Rate and review us on itunes check us out on social media we are at don't repeat this podcast on instagram at don't repeat pod on Twitter, um, and then you can send long form feedback if you want to don't repeat this pod at gmail.com. Thank you so so much for listening. I'm Gail. I'm Nate. I'm Vicky. And this has been don't repeat this. So uh, maybe usually don't repeat this stuff at the dinner table. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs>